So as Simon was saying, this is called the path guide. And the fact that it's called the path kind of implies that we're on a journey, right? So there's even a picture on the front here of some people look like they're going on a bit of a hike. So the idea, I guess, is that we are all on this path. We're on the narrow road following Jesus. And that suggests that the place that we start and the place that we end up are two different places. So to help get our heads around what that actually means, they've actually used the word path as an acronym, which describes the areas that we need to grow in as disciples of Jesus. So for example, P is participating in God's story. We're all called to be part of the story that God is writing. We're called to um, partner with God in the work that he's carrying out. And underneath that letter, you'll see that there's two other words, evangelism and service. Those are, I guess you could say, the practical outworkings of that particular area of growth. And so the same thing applies. Uh, being aware of God's presence is something we should be doing as disciples. And the practical outworkings of that are prayer and formation communicating with God and being aware of the activities of the Holy Spirit in your life. The third one there is being transformed by God's word. Absolutely essential for a disciple to be transformed by God's word. So we need to understand scripture and the theology that comes from that scripture. And the last one there is helping God's family. And the practical outworkings of that are fellowship and church, gathering together with other Christians and building each other up. So those are the I guess you could say the, the themes or the areas that we should be growing in. And each one of those practical outworkings are going to form the basis for a sermon over the next eight weeks. So you're going to hear from me today on evangelism. There'll be another talk on service, prayer, formation, and so on over the next eight weeks. So the next thing we need to consider is the steps that we will be taking to live out those, those themes. Uh, the steps that you need to take to grow in those areas. So this should be, I think, quite intuitive to most of us. These are kind of the things that you do if you wanted to, in general, learn something new. So first of all, you need to discern. You need to take a bit of time to, to think through, is this an area that God wants me to grow in? It's time for us to go away and, and pray and think about the things that we've learned in the sermons and ask God, is this something that I need to improve on? Do I need to learn more about it? If that's the case, then the next step, as you might imagine, is to learn more about it, to actually uh, embed yourself in some resources that are going to teach you how to carry that out. The next step is to practice it, to actually do something with what you've learned. Take some steps to actually practice and outwork what you've learned. You take some time then to reflect. You look back on what you've, what you've done, what you've achieved, and you ask God, is this producing fruit in my life? And then finally, take some time to celebrate. You thank God for the work that he's doing in your life now. Celebrate the fact that you've learned some new skills. And so that's essentially the path guide in a nutshell. What I've explained to you there is in the introduction to your book. You can have a look at it. It's even got some QR codes in there. You can scan them with your phone and get some more information about each of those topics. And so today we're starting in the P, the participating in God's story part, and I'm going to talk about evangelism this morning. So a good place to start is just to ask ourselves, what is evangelism? Evangelism is our human effort to tell people the story of Jesus Christ. That's who he is and what he's done for us. And people often phrase this in a slightly different way. They say evangelism 
is proclaiming the gospel. But the gospel is just Jesus' story, who he is and what he's done for us. And so our hope, our hope in telling people this is that in telling people the gospel is that they would respond to it by trusting, repenting, and then following Jesus for themselves. You know, because who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it, it really demands a response, doesn't it? It's a response of faith and obedience. And when we respond to that message with faith and obedience by trusting in Jesus, it brings about our salvation. In a nutshell, that is the gospel story. In its simplest terms, that's the gospel. Jesus leads to our salvation. And evangelism is our human effort to tell people that story. And look, to be completely honest, if it wasn't for evangelism, I wouldn't be here. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. It wasn't until I was around 18 years old that I'd simply just had a friend invite me to church. And it was as simple as that. I didn't have an opinion Either way, where the church was worth my time, I just wanted to check it out. But you know what? I kept going back because what I heard there spoke a truth into my life that I'd never heard anywhere else. It's where I heard the gospel. It's where I learned about who Jesus is and what he had done for me. It's where I learned that God loved me. It's where I learned that I had a purpose and that God wanted me to be part of the story that he was writing. And when I responded to that message with faith and obedience, when I decided to trust Jesus, that completely changed my trajectory. You know, I discovered something that had given me peace beyond my own understanding, something that had given me joy, even in the midst of sorrow, something that had given me purpose that was so far beyond myself. And when you discover something like that, when you, when you discover that joy and that peace and that purpose, you want to tell other people about it. You want other people to have that too. But you know what? For so long, I didn't because I was just so afraid of being rejected for it. And actually, my, my earliest experiences reinforced that because my earliest experiences of sharing my faith were that of rejection. You know, when my dad found out that I started going to church, he was furious, you know, absolutely furious. And I heard all the arguments for how religion poisons everything. He thought I'd made a really dumb decision. And it created this rift between us to the point where I couldn't talk about anything to do with church at home. And so I developed these conflicting emotions. I had this joy about what I'd discovered, but at the same time this immense fear about being rejected for it. And so I kept it private. I kept it to myself. I didn't make any attempt to do any form of evangelism. And a lot of time went by. You know, I got a job, moved to Canberra, found a new church, and this joy that I had, it hadn't gone away. But because I had kept it private, I just began to feel guilty, really. I felt guilty about not sharing it with people, and it just never sat right with me not to tell people about Jesus. And I think subconsciously, I was looking for a way to tell people, but I didn't really have the skills or the knowledge to communicate it, and I have this, this vivid memory of going to lunch on a Sunday with my friends from work, because when I first moved to Canberra, and look, none of them were Christians, and I was pretty new to the group. We didn't, didn't know each other that well, but I was late, and I was late because I'd gone to church that morning, whereas none of them had to do that, and so people were saying, you know, oh, there you are. Where have you been? We didn't think you were coming, and in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know what? This is a great chance to tell people something that's really important to me. 
I can tell them that, you know, I'm a Christian. I was at church this morning. It's a big part of my life. We gathered together with other Christians. And I was like, you know what? Maybe someone will ask me about Jesus. How awesome would that be? But before I got anywhere close to that, the conversation changed so quickly into just making fun of Christianity. To my absolute horror, the Bible was compared to the Lord of the Rings. A joke was made about how priests wear dresses. And a question was asked of me, how can a logical, rational scientist possibly believe there's a God? And so I was essentially, I guess, mocked for my faith by a bunch of people who barely knew me. But when it's something that you care so deeply about, those kinds of things, they, they really cut deep, don't they? And I think, you know, this really instilled in me, restored in me that fear about sharing my faith. And in my heart, it, it reinforced that idea that I shouldn't share my faith because when I do, I get rejected for it. And I'm sure you can relate to this in some way, even if you haven't had experiences like that. I think it's still relatable because it's what we all feel when we talk about evangelism. You know, we want so desperately for people to know Jesus, but at the same time, we're often left doing nothing because we have this fear about being rejected for it. And so we make excuses like I used to and say, my faith is a private thing. It's between me and God. I don't want to impose that on anyone else. I don't think it's inclusive for me to share my faith. And this is the tension that we have to deal with. We have to ask ourselves, actually, is it okay for me to keep my faith private? And if not, then who exactly is called to be an evangelist? And so I want to start off just by having a look at some verses. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. It says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is the first invitation Jesus gives to his disciples. He'd already been, he'd already been preaching around Galilee, and so I think people would have known who he was. They would have known that he was a teacher, that he was a rabbi, but he's probably one of the more radical ones. He's actually out there searching after people, recruiting people, rather than waiting for them to come to him. You know? And the first thing I get from this is that this is a clear invitation for people to be part of God's story. You know, we, we can look at this and we have the benefit of reading this account knowing that Jesus is God. And so we should look at this and go, wow, this is God inviting people to be part of the work that he is doing. And the work that God is doing is all about reconciling people back to him. Yeah, it's about repairing that rift that exists between God and people because of sin. That's the work that God is inviting people into to partner with him. And so the second thing I get from this is that while I'm sure his first disciples didn't understand the full extent of what following Jesus would entail, he's pretty upfront about one thing. The work that God is doing requires evangelism. Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You know, the people Jesus are talking to, they were fishermen. They would have understood the metaphor well. Their lives currently centered around catching fish and Jesus said, I'll give you a new purpose to catch people. Come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people is like saying, come follow me and I'll make you evangelists. 
follow me and I will send you out to tell people about me. I'll send you out to be evangelists. And my impression when I read these verses is that accepting the invitation to follow Jesus goes hand in hand with accepting an invitation to proclaim the gospel. An invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to tell people the story of Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. So Jesus certainly didn't think that his disciples should keep their faith private. You know, and so you might say, okay, that's fine for them. They were the disciples. Those guys were trained by Jesus himself. I've got nothing on them. But this idea that we're all called to be evangelists is all throughout the New Testament. So let me give you just one example. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And now if you look at the introduction to this letter, you'll see it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes it to the church in Corinth and to all the people in Archaea. And so he's not writing this letter to a particular person. And that's important for us to keep in the back of our mind as we read these verses. So starting in verse 17, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of this is from God. This transformation from your old to your new self, the reconciliation that happens between you and God, all of that comes from God. God is the one who made it happen, and he did it through Jesus. But then he says that God gave us that ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean exactly? He goes on to say this in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So God didn't count people's sins against them. In other words, God gave the the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins, and he did it through Jesus. And now that message of reconciliation has been given to us. God has given us, that's the church, the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's ambassadors. It couldn't get much clearer than that, could it? Paul is saying we're Jesus' representatives here on earth. God uses us to make his appeal. And God's appeal is for people to turn away from their sin and turn back to him. God wants us to make that appeal to all his people on earth. God wants us to make that serious, that urgent, that heartfelt plea for people to be reconciled back to him. And so he's kind of saying, you've got the best message. You've got the best news in the entire world. You have the message of reconciliation. And if you don't do anything else, tell people that message. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it private. Tell people about that radical transformation that you've personally experienced and tell people how they can be reconciled to God. You know, Paul is writing to the whole church and he's saying, it's not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of a select few who are super keen on evangelism. We are all Christ's ambassadors. We're entrusted with that message of reconciliation. We're all called to be evangelists. And of course, my story didn't end you know, with those experiences of rejection. 
you know, I've gone on to have so many positive experiences. And that's not to say that those experiences of rejection won't happen to you once you realize that you're a new creation. It's still always in the back of my mind. But, you know, I can give you one example. I, in my early days as a, as a preacher, I actually found it way more comfortable the thought of getting up in front of a crowd of people who were Christians and giving a talk rather than talking to a single person who wasn't a Christian because it, was, it just seemed so much less confronting to talk to people who would already agree with what you're going to say. And so my early days of preaching, uh, the message was put up on the church website, didn't think much of it. Eventually, they decided it'd be great if we put these up on Facebook. And so the first time they did that for me, they, they put up on Facebook and they tagged my name in it. So everyone who was a friend on Facebook with me would have known straight away that this is what I did. You know, I was up there preaching, I was a Christian, all that kind of stuff. And immediately that thought came back. I'm like, people are going to reject me for this. They're not going to be happy with the things that I'm preaching in front of a crowd. And I had this memory of the very next day I was sitting at work, I was sitting at my desk, and one of the senior scientists comes out and she looks me dead in the eye and she goes, James, we need to talk. And my heart started racing because I thought this is going to be bad news. And she says, we've got to go have a chat, please. Can you come out into the hallway? And I was just expecting bad news. I thought, yeah, man, I've, I've, I've done something wrong. This is, this is going to be bad. She just starts crying. Just starts crying. And she says, James, the words that you said in your sermon last night, they changed my perspective. They absolutely changed my outlook on life. And I will never forget that experience. That was so incredibly powerful. And I went back and I had a look at the footage. It was recorded on someone's iPhone. It was a bit grainy. The presentation I gave was pretty average, to be honest. But it contained the gospel message in it. And I look back at that and I go, it wasn't really me at all. It was the gospel message that they resonated with and that is what changed their life. And since then, I've had so many more positive experiences, having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, sharing my faith. I've been able to disciple people. Sarah and I have run Bible studies with new Christians. We've done Alpha courses. And all of those, they can be quite confronting. There's always that thought that this person might reject you, that they might reject Jesus and the idea of the gospel. But I tell you what, it's worth it for those amazing experiences that you will have, I can guarantee you will have them for talking and sharing about the gospel. And so maybe you're hearing this and maybe you're still not convinced. You're thinking, look, I really don't think I'm cut out to be an evangelist. It's probably a good time to emphasize that the essence of evangelism is the message. It's not really about how you do it. It's not about the method or the medium that you use. It's the message because I think sometimes we can have this preconceived idea that Evangelism should look a particular way. And maybe you've seen, you know, some people love those tent-style crusades. Maybe you think of Billy Graham getting up in front of thousands of people. Maybe you think that um, evangelism is confronting strangers on the street and telling them to repent. I thought it was like that for so long. This is a good time to remind ourselves that actually in the Bible, there is no single method of communicating the gospel. And there's a bunch of examples on the screen that come from the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament alone, we find parables by Jesus, songs, creeds, letters to churches, one-on-one -on -one conversations, sermons, discussion meetings. 
public speeches, apocalyptic literature, and miracles. You know, there's lots of examples of how evangelism can be done. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of well-meaning Christians often get stuck on one particular method, and they end up believing that's the best or the only method that you can possibly use. And usually this is the method that they had become an expert in, or it's a method that was effective in their own conversion. But the essence of evangelism is the message. It's the story of Jesus. And that's important for us just to remember. It's not about the method. It's not whether we're preaching or singing or acting. It's not about the medium, whether it's spoken word, a book or a song. It's not the occasion. It's none of those things. Evangelism is defined by its message. And so the challenge for us when we do evangelize is to be open to those different methods and different entry points that people want to be engaged with. We don't have to evangelize in the same way that we were evangelized. Rather, I think we really need to be in touch with what our society needs and what they'll resonate with and maybe be a bit more creative in how we communicate that gospel story. And so here we go. The, the big idea or the revelation that I want you to take from this message is that your faith is personal, but it's not private. You know, your faith is deeply personal because it's life-changing. It's absolutely transformed your life. If you have encountered Jesus Christ, you are not your old self anymore. So it is deeply personal and transformational. But it was never intended to be just between you and God. When Jesus says, follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people, he's primarily inviting us to be evangelists. He's saying, share your story about me with other people. So everyone is called to be an evangelist. God wants us to share that message of reconciliation with the world. But there's no set way that that has to be done. And I think that's important. The essence of evangelism is the message. And so telling people the story of Jesus, telling people about how Jesus has transformed your life is what it's all about. But the way we do that is up to us. And I want to leave you with one strategy, a thought, an idea. I've been to, I've heard too many sermons on evangelism that kind of end with this call for people to step up and do more without really giving people any thoughts or ideas about how to do that. Um, you've probably heard some well-intentioned pastors and leaders get up and say, get out there and tell your friends, but then not equip you to do the task. So what I want to leave you with is just one strategy to consider, and then I'm going to show you at the end some resources that you should look up if you think this is an area that you need to improve in. So this strategy is called Get Our Friends to Become Their Friends. And I got this from a guy called Sam Chan. He's written a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And I'll give you that reference at the end. So he argues that there are essentially three things that people will consider when they're deciding whether or not something is likely to be true. So they look at their community of trusted friends and family. They look at their personal experiences. And they look at objective facts or data. And I'd say that for most of us, we've considered all three of those things when we decide to follow Jesus. We belong to a community of trusted friends and family who believe in Jesus, and that reinforces our beliefs and lifts us up. Most of us would say we've had an experience of encountering Jesus, an experience of God in our lives, of the Holy Spirit being at work. And most of us would say that there's enough facts or data or evidence around that supports the claim that Jesus is our saviour. But what might surprise you is that out of all three of those things, community 
is the most influential. Right? So as a scientist, I would have hoped that it was evidence, you know, that people would make all of their decisions based just on objective facts, but that's not the case. Uh, most people, they can't be bothered investigating the evidence because the default assumption is that it's a waste of time. You know, our community of trusted friends and family is the most important thing in determining what we believe. So our community has a very powerful role in forming our beliefs. Right? If the people that we hang around don't believe in Jesus, then why would we bother looking into the evidence or seeking an encounter with him? Right? That's, that's the logic behind it. So to most people, the story of Jesus is unbelievable. And because it's unbelievable, it's not worth investigating. And so to most people, it's only worth investigating once they've met someone who has been transformed by Jesus. You know, so what if you could introduce someone to a group of friends who have been transformed by Jesus? That's the idea behind this. And I think most of us would say that we kind of have two groups of friends. We have our Christian group of friends and we have our non-Christian group of friends. And when our Christian friends go to the movies, we go with them. When our non-Christian friends go to the movies, we go with them. When our Christian friends have a barbecue, we go with them. When our non-Christian friends have a barbecue, we go with them. They're two separate worlds entirely. And so the idea is simple, really. The idea is, what if we merged our two separate worlds of friends? All right, what if we were able to get our Christian friends to become friends with our non-Christian friends? What if the next time our Christian friends went to the movies, we asked if we could invite along our non-Christian friends? And so the idea is that gradually, bit by bit, those two worlds would merge into one, that we'd have both Christian and non-Christian people in the same group. And then all of a sudden, the story of Jesus becomes just that little bit more plausible to our non-Christian friends, because in a room of trusted people, half the people are saying that their lives have been radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And so the idea is that as you merge these two separate worlds together, that people would move beyond having these kind of everyday conversations, how's your weekend, did you watch the game last night, to deeper things, talking about values, beliefs. You know, it creates that safe space for people to ask questions about faith and about Jesus. But one thing to consider here is that merging these two worlds is probably going to take a lot of time. To create a strong friendship group actually takes years. Right? So this is a long-term plan. And you need to be in this for the long term if you want to make it work. And so I'm, along these lines, I'd say think about our men's events. Think about our women's events. Think about the social activities that this church does. And first of all, if you're not part of those groups, I'd say consider being a part of them. Consider going to them and strengthening your ties and your connections to this church. And then second, consider inviting a non-Christian friend to them. You know, because the focus of those events is all about fellowship. It is about connection, making friends, getting to know people. It's not a place where we're going to spring a surprise Bible study on people. But it does create that space for people who are non-Christians to be surrounded by people who believe in Jesus and make that story a bit more plausible and give them a reason to go and investigate it further. And so my hope in sharing this with you is that shows you that maybe evangelism and sharing your faith might look a little bit different to what you thought. This is, of course, not the only way to do it. There are lots of ways, but it's one way that might appeal to a lot more people. And so, just as I conclude now, if you've listened to this message 
and you're thinking, this is something that I need to work on, I'd encourage you to go away and spend a bit of time discerning. So use your, uh, your journal, your path guide, and actually write out some thoughts. Maybe there's an, there's an example on the screen there. Just write out some thoughts along those lines and say, God, I think this is an area I need to work on, and spend some time just praying about it, asking God to guide you, ask God, is this an area I need to improve on? If that is an area that you need to improve on, then I'll encourage you to learn more about it. We need to equip ourselves with the tools to do evangelism. This isn't something that typically most people can just do off the cuff. And so I'd say one place to start is this book. This is a fantastic book. It's written by Sam Chance called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And it has lots of practical tips, strategies for sharing your faith. It covers the theology and the background material to do with evangelism and has lots of relatable examples in there. So I'd encourage you to read that book. Also, in your path guide, you might have noticed that there's some little QR codes in this book, and some of them will give, link you to more learning materials. So I'd encourage you to check out both of those if this is an area that you'd like to work on further. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the gospel message. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold in sharing that message. Help us to be bold in sharing the message of reconciliation. I thank you so much, Lord, for the joy and the peace and the purpose that you have instilled in each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to communicate that to other people. You'd help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the needs of other people, to be respectful of their beliefs. I pray, Lord, that every time we do evangelism, that we would do it in love and with grace. Pray, Lord, that you would lead us in the right direction as we go on this, the narrow path following you and that you would help us as well to overcome those feelings of fear and rejection when we share our faith. And I thank you, Lord, for what is yet to come. I thank you, Lord, for the amazing experiences that we will have and for the people that will be radically transformed by encountering you through the gospel message. Amen.